Hi friends and welcome to The Idea of Us, a podcast that highlights good by interviewing great minds and learning best practices. We discuss the big questions here, what and who is us, what is good and how much good is good. Also, what does it mean if we truly care for each other? In this episode, I have the honor to speak to Ariana van der Plas about the topic homelessness. Ariana is a multi-talented and faceted person. She's an engineer, a yoga teacher, a leadership coach, and the co-founder of the Women's Hub, a safe space for women to build community, grow, develop, and support each other. And the digital session of the Women's Hub is also where Ariana and I met um, and connected over LinkedIn where I saw that she was working in the impact space and I learned more about the project Stories Behind the Fog, which is a project where she, together with other change makers, shares stories about people that don't have a home in San Francisco. Their mission is to humanize homelessness one story at a time. And I am so, so excited that she agreed to share all her insights, experience and her perspective in today's show about a difficult topic, but that needs to be addressed and solved. So in this episode of the Idea of Us podcast, you will learn more about Ariana's inspiring story and the topic homelessness. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Thank you so much, Ariana. I think I said it wrong now, but I'm so happy to have you here. This is the episode where we're going to talk about the homelessness, homelessness in San Francisco. And um, yes, I so so I'm so happy to have you here today. So welcome to it. <laughs> Thank you yes. so much. I'm really excited that I get to talk about this important topic. Yes. So I want to start with talking a little bit how we know each other, like uh, how we started to know each other, which was uh, I was at a Women's Hub Love Session where you are also the co-founder of. And a friend of mine, which is Ruta, talked about that she is the role model that she wished she had. And uh, so you co- we connected over LinkedIn, which I thought was so sweet of you because um, that was such a touching moment just to see like all of us women connecting on, on so many deep level so and then I saw your profile and said okay she's also in the impact space which I thought okay we speak the same love language so I have to reach out and get you to uh, the idea of us so again thank you so much for being here today and sharing all the wealth of knowledge that you have (laughs) yes so um I would like to start uh, introducing you. So you are originally from the Netherlands. You lived in San Francisco also. You uh, are a woman of many talents. You're a leadership coach right now. You are a trained yoga and meditation teacher. You're co-founder of the Women's Hub and you're a TED speaker. So <laughs> someone who brings on so many talents, I would like to know from you what you think are the three words that defined you and how you live your life. That is such a beautiful introduction. Thank you so much. And I just quickly want to add that uh, the love session, the Women's Up Love session that we met in with Ruta, I loved it so much. That one was in German, but we decided to do another session with Ruta in English on May 19th because she has so much wisdom to share. So just wanted to share that as well. Um, And what three words define how I live? I tried (laughs) not to make a whole study of it, but to see what words came up for me first. And I think the first word that came up for me, and that's also really relevant in terms of what we're talking about today, is connectedness, Mm -hmm. this sense that 
we human beings are all connected, that we're part of a planet, that we're part of an ecosystem together. And that for me, so that that also um, is the reason why I started connecting with homeless people when I moved to San Francisco, but we'll talk about that later. But that's, it's always been sort of a red thread in my life to build bridges between different groups of people, because that, that seems so at the core of what we need in the world. Yeah. Talking about the impact space, I think that's the type of impact that I want to have in the world. The other thing that kind of goes hand in hand with that is authenticity. So this idea of, of really showing up fully as who you are. We're so trained by society to have all these shiny versions, like sort of the Instagram version of our life and to, to pretend that all as well. Um, and I really believe that there's so much more possible if you show up authentically, that the connections you will have, and that's also what we see with our work with the Women's Hub, the connections you'll have with others are so much deeper deeper and your understanding of others will be so much deeper if you show up the way you are. So that's been really a sort of guiding principle in my life. Um, and then um, the third thing, and this is also uh, why I became a coach partly, is that for me, learning, growing, being curious is really guiding. I get, I get, I notice I get sort of this nervous energy when I feel like I'm in a stagnant place when I'm not learning something new. So that's why I always, you know, I'm reading a lot. I'm curious to meet people that have a very different background from me. Um, so that's, that's, that's the area where I'm always pushing myself uh, in a way. Mm, I love it. Uh, and again, women's hub like that, what you're doing there is Fantastic. Like it's such a beautiful safe space for women. So everyone that uh, you all of us need it in our lives. So thank you so much again for doing this also. And yeah, and what would what we like and I love how you said authentically showing up. That is so important. I think we struggle so much uh, with we lose somehow when we grow up to be authentic. And it's so important to go back to actually who you are, because I think that's really closely connected to happiness. So I want to know from you, can you describe two moments that um, inspired you and motivated you? Yeah. When you're talking about authenticity that way, one moment that's really important for me in that is that I actually, in my first job, uh, I was applying for a leadership program within the company. It was a big company. And I had to do some assessments and I scored a one out of five on authenticity. So, <laughs> and that is not pretty, right? That means that basically people are telling you most of the time, I think you're playing a role. Mm. And that really struck a chord in me because it, it made me realize that I had been basically trying to be successful according to the definitions of society or of what I thought was expected of me rather than connecting to what's important for me and how I want to live my life. Uh, and I think, honestly, a one out of five was a bit brutal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, it was a big wake-up call for me that realizing like, hey, I don't want to live a life where at least people perceive me as being so inauthentic. So that was for me the starting point to, to do a lot of yoga and meditation to really learn how to connect with my body. Because so far I've been living a lot from my brain. I'm pretty smart. So I got really far with that. And then I realized like, hey, 
I'm not just my, I'm not a brain, a walking brain. There's so much more to me. So let's see what's there. And that's been incredibly helpful for me that also uh, I started working with a coach because of that. And Mm. that got me on the path of coaching. So that really, even though that moment was so painful, it really triggered a lot of really important things in my life. And well, another big moment, of course, was moving to San Francisco and seeing the homeless there homeless there but we'll we'll talk about that a lot later Uh, (laughs) but another another moment that that comes up for me as a pivotal or inspiring moment was also so uh, in early 2020 I moved to Zurich so from San Francisco to Zurich so this was the second time in my life that I moved to a new country and and what I learned from moving to San Francisco is to have a really open mind and to show up in that country and see what you're called to do Mm -hmm. and what was so clear for me from the moment I set foot in Zurich in, in Switzerland was like, this is a very masculine country, extremely masculine. Oh, there are wow. uh, there are areas here where women got voting rights in 1991. <laughs> really? I can't so, imagine. <laughs> no, it's it's quite extreme. And and so realizing that and also talking to other expats moms I'm a mom of two kids so I connected with a lot of moms also showed me how restricted women felt here and they felt like either I have to fit into this masculine structure that doesn't work for me or you know like I I'm on my own basically there's no way for me to be a mom and to to have a career here so that really that really hurt me and then I met the founders of the Women's Hub in, in Germany, where it originated. And I was like, this is what I need to do. This is this is my quest here, mm-hmm. basically. Just as homelessness was a big part of my quest in San Francisco, I noticed like this feminine leadership, this mm-hmm. empowering women is, is what I have to do here. And this is a big thing to say for me, because when I was in the Netherlands, which is where I lived most of my life, I would never join women's networks. I hated it. <laughs> it's like this, I'm not going to join like this group of women complaining about how men don't treat them well, la, la, la. <laughs> and here I was all of a sudden finding myself committed to create a safe space for women and do that in a way where we remember our sisterhood and remember how good it is to be connecting with other women, sharing stories. And um, so I noticed that I had to overcome my assumptions about what it means to be together as women. And I'm really glad I did. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, I love what you shared about first, like about, um, you know, the rating with authentic, like being authentic and like what it did to you. And I think all of us, like so many people on this planet struggle with the same issue and specifically women. I would say that we believe we have to be a certain way to be successful, to be liked or whatever. And um, I love the work that you're doing um, on like in, in terms of leadership and in terms of uh, the women's hub, because we don't have to, you know, you can be you and successful. So thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so aligned, <laughs> super excited. <laughs> And then what I want, like, so you said you now, like, you had experience in in Switzerland right now, but let's go, like, back to San Francisco. We both had the same experience because we both basically um, changed places and and moved to San Francisco and we both had experiences there. And I want to, I would love to know how your first experience was when you, like, came to San Francisco and 
like saw with your own eyes the homelessness crisis uh, and like w- where was it maybe you can share about it and how how it made you feel yeah sure so i came to san francisco for the first time i think in 2005 or six or so and then i was there as a tourist and i was like this place is amazing i love it but i only saw the tourist places mm-hmm. and then in 20 12, I would say something like that. My now husband, then boyfriend, did an internship in San Francisco and he had an apartment close to the the BART station on Mission and 16th. Mm. So I came from the airport, took BART, felt like so independent woman doing my thing, you know, finding my way in this new city. And then I came out of the BART station. And then the first thing you see is a lot of homeless people Mm. and it's not the type of homelessness you see in European cities or in Western European cities. Mm. It's people dealing with mental illness, not getting medication. It's Mm. people struggling with addiction, shooting up at noon, you know, in in the sunlight. It's really, it's human suffering that Mm. you see on that little street corner. And, you know, here I was (laughs) happily visiting my boyfriend And thinking of San Francisco as a place where, you know, you have all these cool tech startups and big companies and you have so much yoga and all that. And then seeing that there's such a dark side to the city that I really didn't expect there to be. So uh, it made me feel scared. It made me feel uncomfortable, angry. Yeah, all of uh, such a mix of mostly negative emotions for sure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's, I think a lot of people coming to San Francisco, like specifically if you grew up, grew up in everywhere else, basically on this planet besides the US, you have like a picture of it. Like we have Hollywood movies that we've been watching since we're kids. And even though you haven't been in those cities, you have like a view of it, right? So I had a similar experience when I landed in San Francisco. Like I love the whole tech atmosphere and everything. And when I saw the homelessness crisis, I was shocked. Not that I have not seen it in, I, I mean, I grew up in Frankfurt. That's, is, we have an issue here with that also. But I think the extent in San Francisco was for me just so, um, it's to like so big. It was so at the forefront of what you're seeing. So I was super curious about like how, how it was for you to like land there and just, and, and then see it and then just see like those two different, how do you say this two different aspects that city has like the beautiful uh nature you know the um amazing um like access to like healthy food and beaches and hiking and waterfalls and then also you know the the tech environment there which is which you don't see in, on, on this planet again like this. And then on the other hand, also the, the homelessness crisis, which is quite shocking. And I felt the same way. So um, I was, I didn't know what to do. So I just wanted to know like how it was for you, but thank you so much for sharing this. And then I read that you started, you made that your home in a way, and you started sharing um, yoga classes for underprivileged people um, in the community. And can you tell us a little bit more about it? Like how was it experience? How was the responses and how did it came uh, to to that point? Yeah. Yeah, So about a year or two years, yeah, I think two years after my husband did his internship in San Francisco he said, like, I really want to live in San Francisco for a while. And 
for me, I never thought of myself as someone who would live abroad, but San Francisco was just a really appealing place to me for that combination of tech and, and yoga and spirituality. I think that's quite unique. And nature. I'm a big nature lover too. So that was all, all good reasons to spend some time there. And then, so I had this image of like, you know, I'm, I'm going there without an agenda, but probably I'll work at some tech company. Mm-hmm. And then, but when we were actually living there um, and we started hanging out with a lot of tech people. And I was, I really felt uncomfortable about being in that, but really that tech bubble that exists in, in the Bay area. And so what I had, so I, I, I said, I moved to San Francisco without an agenda. That's not fully true. The only thing that wasn't in my agenda was the yoga teacher training okay. because I love yoga. And it's like, this is the place to deepen my yoga practice. So here I was with my yoga teacher training and this sense of, I cannot say I've lived in San Francisco and then ignore that there are 10,000 people living on the street and pretend that, that that doesn't exist. That just doesn't sit well with me. So I tried to find ways to for connecting with these people on the street in a safe way. Because honestly, it is scary to see people that are really struggling so much that are shooting up drugs. It's not like you're casually going to have a conversation with some people. Mm -hmm. So I started out with volunteering in a soup kitchen, just handing out lunch as a really great way to, you know, to talk to people. Uh, That was at the Curry Senior Center in the Tenderloin. It's a really lovely place. And because I was going to the Tenderloin every week and, you know, getting to know some people, I heard about the place called the Healing Well. And the Healing Well is also a place in the Tenderloin where they offer all sorts of wellness uh, classes for for the neighborhood. And so they have yoga, they have Tai Chi, they have poetry, art, uh, 12 steps groups, like all those kind of things. And they were looking for, for yoga meditation teachers. And so I had my yoga teacher training, but I wasn't planning to become a yoga teacher because San Francisco has enough (laughs) yoga teachers. (laughs) But then I was like, if I can use all the things I've learned in yoga and I've learned in meditation and apply that to people that are under such constant stress, like that feels like a good use of, of my training. So I started teaching both yoga and meditation at the Healing Well and connected with, yeah, with the people there. We got some regular students <laughs> coming in and I saw how good it was for them to even just to, to be in a room and feel safe with other people's people and uh, to feel so welcome. I think that was what was really unique about the healing or is still really unique about the healing while that I've never felt as welcome anywhere as there. Wow. It was such a mix of people and the thing that they shared and that brought them together was that they were in, interested in wellness and what it could do for them. And so I, I really loved being part of that community and uh, and using my yoga there and, and seeing like seeing people every week coming back saying like, oh, hey, that thing that we did with the breathing exercise <laughs> really helped me, you know, deal with whatever happened. But also seeing their ups and downs, like um, mm-hmm. you would see someone come in one week and, and seeing that they were doing really well. And the next week you could hardly communicate with them. Uh, because they didn't get their medication or, you know, whatever happened. So also seeing the hardship of these humans uh, living a very unstable life. Yeah. So yeah. it's a bit of an experience of, of my first steps in the tenderloin, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Beautiful, though. It's It sounds um, 
so nice what you said like you never felt as much welcome there as you as you felt uh somewhere else so i really love that i wanted to was that would you say was that the inspiration for because today we're also speaking like about your fantastic project which is um behind the fog and was was that the inspiration for these stories behind the fog was that like when how did it came alive maybe you can tell a little bit uh, our listeners what what it is yeah so what happened is you know here i was this fancy expat woman hanging out with homeless people <laughs> and so a lot of people were curious about my experience there were so many people that were working in the tech industry that were also curious like what what's going on what are the stories of these people so i would just share the conversations I had over lunch at the Korea Senior Center or, you know, funny stories of what happened during my yoga classes. Like people would regularly fall asleep and snore really loud, for example. <laughs> They're exhausted, right? So having a safe place, yes. a peaceful place. Yeah, of course you fall asleep during. Like there's no ego in teaching yoga in the tenderloin. <laughs> But so I, I also love writing. So I started just writing my own blog on Medium. Uh, about like the conversations I had, my awkwardness, the mistakes I made. Mm. Because mind you, I'm trained as an engineer. I'm not a social worker. Mm. So, <laughs> so for me, it was quite a big step to uh, to step into this this world and mm. to see like how do I, being so aware of all this privilege, how do I relate to people that live such a different life? Mm. So I started writing about that. And then the people that started Stories Behind the Fog, the, the project that we want to talk about today too, mm. they found me. They said, like, hey, we're actually doing the same because they had a big mission of collecting 100 stories of homeless people and taking really beautiful pictures of them to really, yeah, to rehumanize what mm. is going on, to re remind us that these are human beings. We call them the homeless, which makes it a sort of amorphous group. Mm. But these are human beings with really interesting life stories with big talents that we're missing out on. So that's really where 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 I and the and the founders of Stories Behind the Folk found each other. And and I was immediately like, yeah, of course I'm going to join your mission. Mm -hmm. And I love that you're dreaming so big of saying like, we're going to collect 100 stories. We're going to turn them into a book. Yes. The world needs to know these people. So, so yeah. I was like, okay, I'm all in. <laughs> so we got this, this wild collective of artists, of photographers, of writers that mm -hmm. were collecting these stories were... Uh, we've been collaborating with about uh, 10 outreach organizations because they would introduce us to uh, to the people that we've been interviewing uh, for, for for both our safety and for the safety of the interviewees that they know, like sharing your story is such a vulnerable thing. So knowing that they could do that at the healing well, for example, I interviewed mm -hmm. quite a few of my, my uh, yoga uh, students there um really helped helped us build a trust and connection to share that story and to take their pictures and for them to be seen and witnessed was such a big thing like they go you imagine that you're homeless you'll go through many days without being acknowledged without anyone even yes. looking in your eyes mm -hmm. so for some for <laughs> for for them to have someone sit down with them for hours and listen to their life stories is is wild mm. yeah so that's 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 been a journey for us and for the interviewees and right now we have the 100 stories and most of them are published on the website and we're now mm. turning them into a beautiful coffee table book with a, a designer in spain so it's in the making <laughs> but it's, it's been a journey of years <laughs> 
I can imagine, and I can't wait uh, to to see the book. I went to the stories, and it, it is um, I, first of all, I love the mission. Like I heard in your TED talk, where you said uh, the mission is to humanize homelessness one story at a time. So it is. Uh, that's exactly like you were you, with that project. I what I love about it, you're building a bridge to a world that we maybe close our eyes to a lot of times, right? And then we say, okay, we're two different, as you said, two different sets or parts of, of a community, which is not the case. We're one community at the end of the day. So uh, from all those stories that uh, you learned, uh, what was the one story that impacted you the most? I would say the one The one story that impacted me the most was was uh, with Cherry. Uh, she was one of the first women I interviewed, and um, I met her at um, an event about homelessness. And I was sitting next to her, and she was like saying yes, yes when the speaker was speaking. And so I said after the talk, I was like, "Wow, you seem really involved in this topic." And then she told me like, "Yeah, well, I'm homeless myself." So here I was sitting next to this homeless woman who took the time to go to an event about homelessness. Well, she didn't know where she was going to sleep that night. And then so we connected. We really had a lovely conversation. And then um, I invited her to, uh, to an interview the next week. And then she told me she had been in prison for 23 years for conspiracy for murder. Oh, yeah, I read that one. And so in, imagine, and, and then here I am sitting with all my assumptions about people that have been in prison for conspiracy for murder, whereas I got to know her as this really gentle woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I looked up her police report and uh, it was horrible. It was, you know, a group of people molesting a child molester and she was part of that community that did that. So it's, it was really a terrible story. And here I was feeling such a connection with this woman where she is now. And then she told me that prison was really for her a moment to, to do introspection and to see mm -hmm. what she wanted to be in life. And she started sister groups in the prison to, to help younger women. And now that she got out of prison, she was helping. She, she had this dream of setting up an organization for younger women to prevent uh, that they would go in, into a similar path as she, as she had. Um, and all the while she was struggling with finding a home, finding a job and all these things. So mm -hmm. it, it, I think that's that was for me in terms of, you know, my my value of learning. There was so much learning and so much confusion for me. And like part of my brain was like people who were part of a group that murdered another person are evil. And I'm sitting here with this radiant woman whose only mission now is to help out others mm. and so to to sit with that for yourself and to sit with that confusion was really helpful for me to see like it's not it's it's not as black and white as we make things that yes. uh, this can happen in one human life and I've been in touch with her for for uh, quite a few years after that and seeing her getting a job and like getting some more stability but then you know sometimes still getting boyfriends that were not good for her and just seeing seeing how these patterns are yes. still part of, part of life yeah but I think it's it's always torture this question of which story yes. you know has the most impact and this is really one that will stay with me for a long time <laughs> yes um wow that's an impressive story um also from the perspective like forgiving and forgiveness in in our community like I loved um that you were 
like that we have like misconceptions about things that we like um, stigmatize very quickly. So thank you for sharing that story. And in that regard also, what would you say, like how did your perspective change through those experiences that you made um, within your project? And also afterwards, as you said, you're still connected to everyone. No, I'm not connected to everyone, but definitely to to a few people. Yeah. Um, I think what I said earlier about when we talk about the homeless and it feels like this this amorphous blob, um, that just the diversity of, of experiences and reasons that people become homeless and backgrounds. Like I've talked to, to people that were firefighters, mm-hmm. uh, teachers, artists, you know, Mm-hmm. All these different poets, um, <laughs> scientists, like all these different backgrounds and uh, and and just all these different experiences of what it means to not have a home. So th- so I think that was a big or an important learning for me to see like, oh, this this is you cannot talk about the homeless. Yes. There's 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 a range, and this is also what makes it hard to solve the homelessness problem. Is like mm-hmm. you're talking about such a wide range of experiences and ages and backgrounds um, that that's really hard. And yeah, what else changed in my in my perspective? I think on one hand that we have so much in common, like in terms of of our values or the things we strive for. There's there's so much that we have in common, and um, it made me more, even more aware of, of the privilege I have specifically for the fact that I come from a family that is very stable. Mm-hmm. So my, I have a really loving, my parents are still together. They love each other. They love me and my sister. And just that foundation, having that and having that example of this is what a loving relationship looks like. This is what, it, what you know, mm-hmm. healthy, uh, healthy adults look like. <laughs> you that I that I have self-esteem I didn't have to fight for that I just have that because they gave me that being aware of how that changes everything because 100% of the people I interviewed didn't come from a a stable family background Mm -hmm. they you know they didn't know who their father was there was a lot of fighting there was abuse in their family there was drugs all of that so that's where 100% 100% of the people I interviewed grew up in. Mm-hmm. And that is such a different starting point than my safe, cozy family. Yes. Uh, and that's, that's, it made me appreciate what my parents did for me more. <laughs> and also feel, yeah, <laughs> feel my responsibility as a parent. I, while I was doing the interviews, I was pregnant, had a baby, then was pregnant, had another <laughs> baby. So it was really part of my journey as a mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then realizing that's what motherhood is. It's like setting that foundation for a kid. And especially in the first few years, that changes everything. And we did an interview. Luckily, I didn't do the interview. I knew that would be too hard for me. But we did an interview with a young mom that was homeless. Mm-hmm. And But I did, I did write the story and I did make the transcription of the story. And then realizing like, oh, that could have been, you know, the start of my kid's life. That's... Mm-hmm. Like I, I, it's even hard for me to say it out loud now that that's, that's the reality. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can, uh, it's interesting to know like how, how you say that, uh, parents and their environment obviously had like so much impact on it. And I think as a mother also, uh, it's beautiful to see that, you know, 
you can like that it it touches you on on a different and um like a question that I always have when uh, I think about um uh, being homeless is is it like because we all quickly say okay it's someone else's issue it's not my issue and it cannot happen to me but actually can homelessness happen to anyone or is it like what is your opinion in that in that regard I think the the popular opinion is saying yes it can happen to everyone mm -hmm. and I think theoretically that's true but I do think referring back to what I just said about where did you grow up what mm -hmm. what what did you see around you that can have a huge influence on the likelihood of you Uh, becoming homeless and I think also you know you're where in the world do you grow up I think mm -hmm. in the Netherlands yes you can become homeless but it mm -hmm. will probably not look like homelessness in San Francisco because what I heard in so many stories it's this cascade of things that happen so um, your marriage falls apart mm -hmm. apart and because of that you your tendency towards addiction becomes an actual addiction. And because of that, you lose your job. And, and because of that, you, you lose your home. And so it's this cascade of things that happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, something like that can happen to everyone, but some people will have more safety nets than others. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's why I want to emphasize the, the likelihood aspect of the question. Uh, it's like, it's not, Sure, it could happen, but if you don't come from a stable family, if you have a tendency towards addiction, if there's mm -hmm. mental illnesses in your family history, mm -hmm. um, if what I saw a lot in San Francisco and <laughs> compared to, you know, the Dutch are very risk averse. Yes. Uh, in San Francisco, I saw so many people having huge debts and like no savings Yes. <laughs> another risk it's so it's and it's so much easier to lose your job in the u.s compared to the netherlands so there you know that's that's another safety net that you know i've learned because that's the standard in my culture that i have a certain amount of savings in my bank and then you know stuff like that so there it's it's a combination of, of those factors i think that um yeah, yeah. No, yeah, um, so be, I grew up in Germany. Um, so I grew up in, Euro in Europe. So for me, what you're saying is uh, I can understand totally like risk averse is something that I grew up as well. And debt is definitely an issue. But I, what I also like is and it's a tough question, you know, to ask if it can happen to anyone. <laughs> it's a very, And I think we simplify it also with, you know, like, can it, can it happen to anyone? So I loved your response because we have to be also um, aware of our privileges and not judge someone too quickly. Because if I had access to all those things, uh, the likelihood might be smaller right but it can still happen so I like how you pointed that uh, also out to for us to to be aware and not to judge someone really quickly because one experience that I had when I was in San Francisco um, and I asked native native San Francisco people which are not that many anymore what they think about <laughs> what I think about the homelessness crisis and one said to me it's a choice yeah and That is even tougher than it can happen to anyone. So what would you say to that statement that homelessness is a choice? I mean, you already touched on it, but maybe we can talk about that also. Homelessness is a choice for some people. We have interviewed people for whom it was a choice. They didn't want to be part of regular society mm -hmm. or they just wanted the freedom. Of, like, there, there's a really lovely story of a guy who has this beautiful bike and that's basically his home and that's all he needs. 
so there there is that but i would say that and again this is based on on my experience that most of the people did not want to be homeless this was mm. not a choice for them this was a, a result of things that happened to them and and how they dealt with that mm. uh, th- that is another thing that some of them would say is that i screwed up that's not all of them, but there are a few that, that said, like, I didn't have my priorities straight. I screwed up. So that's as close as I would go to. It was a choice. <laughs> like there were two that said it was a choice. And there were some that said I made really big mistakes. And there were a lot that were like, I was just overwhelmed by circumstances. And then my addiction hit me or then my mental illness hit me or whatever. Yeah. And would you say, okay, so uh, are there other 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 misconceptions about homelessness like that you noticed when you or that you know about that you would like to share with us? Um, hmm. I think there's a misconception that homeless people are lazy, mm-hmm. so that they're homeless and they're just going from like one meal, like their breakfast they, that they can get there to their meal, lunch meal somewhere else, and that's that's how they choose to move through life. Whereas in reality, what often happens uh, is that it's super overwhelming to have to live this life of uncertainty. And um, often they're just a few forms away from getting back into the system, at least getting a case manager, getting someone to help them. But even filling out these forms is too overwhelming for them mm-hmm. because there's so much else happening. They're under con- constant stress. I-, I interviewed quite a few women living on the streets. So there's this real risk of them being harassed while sleeping, right? So imagine living a life where even sleep is not a safe place for you and then having to deal with, well, I, I even have anxiety for forms in the US, like, honestly. <laughs> Yeah. I just so I moved to Switzerland a year ago, and here I can actually call the tax authorities and be like, "Hey, I don't understand the form. What I'm am I supposed to?" And they help you, and I'm still like sort of recovering from from form anxiety in the US. Mm-hmm. So imagine having a super stressful life, maybe addiction, maybe mental illness, and then doing these things that you need to do to get back into the system. That's just a lot on someone's plate. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not. That's not laziness, I would say, mm-hmm. but it is sure. And and again, sure, there are some of them very lazy, but I would say for the majority that that is not the cause of, of them not getting back into the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent point. And forms, I think everywhere on this planet are annoying. <laughs> so for everyone, <laughs> it's just some places have more information and uh, I had the same experience. So um, one thing that I wanted, like a personal uh, thing that I wanted to ask you. So if I like now I'm in Frankfurt and then we have this issue here also. And in San Francisco, it's the same. So the more homeless people I see the numb I get to that cause to that issue and I was just wondering what can I do about it like or um if you notice that other people had the same experiences like if you like yeah what are your thoughts on that yeah there is numbness that you're experiencing is a survival mechanism that's Mm -hmm. how I see it because imagine every time you see someone suffering because that's that's your perception or you feel the threat you feel threatened by someone acting weird mm-hmm. um 
you would be under such high constant stress. Like I, I once I counted how many homeless people I saw from my walk from home to the daycare of my daughter. And it was 30 homeless people. Wow. Not in a good state. Like, yes. you know, that the encampments, people shooting up at 8 a.m. in the morning, like all of that happening mm-hmm. in a 15 minute walk to the daycare. Imagine if I let, would let all of that into my system, like, that would ruin my whole day. <laughs> so, yeah. And so that numbing and how you sometimes literally see people step over a person who's passed out on the street just to get to Bart, yeah. that's your survival mechanism hitting in. Uh, and I, th- I think that's that's just a supernatural. It's not a pu- it's not a, a beautiful reaction, but it's just what you do to survive this reality. And that that's also something I had to learn because when you start engaging with these people, when I started working at the Curry Senior Center, handing out lunch, you know, you start building a relationship with these people, and all you want to do is like take them home and get them a nice shower <laughs> and whatever. And you can't, you know, that you can't. So the that's something you have to accept is that you have to accept that other people, that people suffer. It's going to get really Buddhism (laughs) all of a sudden, but people suffer and you can either kind of numb yourself or you can accept that reality or you can try and save everyone, Mm. (laughs) which is, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or something. It's a dilemma, right? So it's it's a dilemma, like as you said, like yeah, accepting that people suffer is a big thing, and then then you can do something about it, as you as you said, right? Um, that is so. There's uh, the other question that I had is, would you then say? I mean, we have to accept, when we talk about acceptance, is then homelessness simply a part of society that we like? That's how it would be in any case, or uh, is it a problem that we need? To, that do we need to solve here? Like, in, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yes, we need to solve this. Okay. And um, my American friends always made fun of me of because you know they see the Netherlands as sort of a yeah, like like this 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 what do you call it? A socialist country almost <laughs> where people are just unemployed and they get money anyway and you know their health care for everyone and so uh, yeah they were really joking like, like you're a socialist like what do you know <laughs> and and yeah in that way I am a socialist I really believe that as a society we have a responsibility to make sure that at the very least people have access to medication mm-hmm. like we're talking about a very rich city here how come that there are people on the streets that do not get their medication for mental health progressive things as as like um uh safe uh safe injection sites uh that's been happening in Europe for quite a while now that was really new in San Francisco to mm-hmm. to do that housing prices i mean come on <laughs> you see all these new housing projects and it's all fancy apartment for the tech hipsters mm-hmm. i get that that's where the money is um, but if you want a city that's livable you really really need to think about how to make it achievable that that there is a f- affordable and i mean really affordable not like two thousand a month affordable <laughs> but affordable affordable yes. uh, apartments so yeah, I really I do so I think in 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 San Francisco there's a tendency to say like we cannot solve this and mm-hmm. I'm like so how come it's so different in Europe? Mm-hmm. Like we have we have bad situations but not this bad and not in a city that is so rich. Mm-hmm. So I do think 
um, it's a matter of priorities. It's also a matter of, of how you think about this issue. Like I saw so often when I was in the Tenderloin, there was like police telling people to move their tents. And I'm like, what are you solving here? Mm. Now they're, these people have to, they're stressed. They have to find a new place to live. They're going to put their tents in another neighborhood. Like yes. <laughs> what exactly did you solve just now? And it's really important that we start seeing this as a health crisis, as, as, mm-hmm as a thing where we just need to take better care of people because we're missing out on talent. Mm. We're missing out on what I just said, the scientists, the designer that I talked to, the teachers. I, I, I've talked to quite a few teachers that became homeless. We're missing out on this talent because we treat them as criminals. Yes. <laughs> that is, um, uh, I mean, it's it's so beautiful get to get your insights because um As I said, when I'm in San Francisco, like I also think the same thing uh, because I think there's so much wealth there. You know, all tech companies, uh, there's so many, I mean, the rent prices also indicate like how much, how much people can pay, you know, and which is like different. And then um, also if you grow up in Europe, yeah, social, like we are a bit more socialist for sure, or socialist, uh, and like our, our, the way we go about community in our, in our markets are, um, a little bit more humane for me in that regard. And, um, and still people think there that it means like everyone is going to be living, being unemployed, uh, <laughs> abusing the system, which is not the case. Um, so. Thank, thank you for sharing this. And then um, another thing that I wanted to say, so from the podcast is about, so the main foundation of the podcast is Ubuntu. Ubuntu is a South African philosophy where it's about like, if everyone cares for each other, then we all are cared of technically. And um, so um, I would like to know what you think is, um, what can community do? Also, you spoke at the beginning about human connectedness, right? So we all connected. What can we do? maybe in in one thing that you like one uh, example that you have that we where we can help or solve or care <laughs> yeah so so i asked this question many times because i also wanted to know and what often came up is that uh the people that are without a home they do live somewhere and they would like to be treated as neighbors mm-hmm. and i love that idea of neighbors because it it means with your neighbors you just you're not best friends. Like you don't need to invite them to every birthday party, but you just kind of have this rapport. You greet each other, you acknowledge them. Um, you know, maybe sometimes you bring them flowers or whatever. Uh, but there's just this sort of, there is this connection, but you also have your boundaries. And I think that another topic that often comes up uh, is that people wonder if they should give homeless people money. Mm. That is really up to you. Like if you don't feel good about that, if that's crossing your boundaries, don't do that. But if you can just, I wouldn't say think of them as normal human beings. They are normal human beings. But if you can see them as your neighbors and just be like, hey, good morning. Because often you have these irregulars that you see on your way to work or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is always already a really big thing. And uh, another thing is there's a, there are a number of beautiful organizations in San Francisco that you can support. Like I, uh, I'm also not a fan of giving money directly. I, I did sometimes, you know, buy people food or something. Uh, but giving money to this, these organizations like the Healing Well or the Cree Senior Center or all of these other organizations is a really good way of, of being supportive uh, and, and contributing in a way that uh, aligns with your personal values. 
Mm, thank you so much. That is uh, some good advice. So um, we can, it's, it's good to know that, yes, it's a problem we need to solve here and we can solve in, in, as a community in, in different ways. I loved also what you said in your um, TED talk where you said, like, just look what you can do. Like, what is it that you can do and then contribute? And um, so now I want, we're going uh, slowly towards the end of this podcast. And uh, as you are a leadership coach, I would love to know what inspired you to become one. What is your approach? What makes a good leader? And we connect that to <laughs> homelessness, which attributes to our political leaders' need to support a homeless part of the community. So a bunch of questions. <laughs> right. I'm going to try and make a coherent story out of that one. So what inspired me to become a coach is, is the work I did with my coach uh, back in the days when I got a, a, five, a one out of five for authenticity. <laughs> And for me to see what my what my coach did for me in terms of connecting we, me with my with who I am, the impact I want to have in the world, um, the impact I have on other people, and how to be with that was like so life changing for me. That I was like, wow! I thought he was a magician. I really thought this guy was a magician. Like he was reading my emotions and telling me like how to make space for that. I was like, wow people can do that. And then uh, when I moved to San Francisco, I decided to do a leadership coaching training there. And then I was like, I just became the musician. I can do this. And so sometimes people are intimidated by that. I call it leadership coaching. I really see leadership as something that we all are. We are all leaders in our own environment in the sense that we can take responsibility for, for the impact that we all have. And I see doing your own personal development work is really central to leadership in whatever shape or form. So understand who you are, uh, what's important to you, what triggers you, what fears do you have? Are these fears real or not? I think there's a lot of fear-based uh, politics happening right mm -hmm. now. And I, that's what really worries me because You know, here I am, the little bridge build builder, seeing people build walls instead of bridges. Like that hurts my soul to see that. So I, I think I want for all politicians to, you know, work with a coach to see, to to work on their fears and to work also on their strength and to mm -hmm. and, and on their dreams and to to trust to believe that they can create those dreams instead of poking into other people's fear. Um, That I feel that's really the disease of our time and that's creating really a polarity that we, we don't want. And uh, yeah, the talking about connectedness, like that's, that's really what we need. We are, we are as humans, we are judgment machines. We mm -hmm. walk through the world judging and making assumptions. And if nobody ever reflects back on us that that's what we do, mm -hmm. we create our own reality. And that's what you, you know, that's basically what's happening in the social media bubbles yeah. is that we just hear our beliefs and there's nobody poking in those beliefs and mm -hmm. making us curious about the other bubbles <laughs> out there. And I think for, you know, if we want to, <laughs> I want to go as far as if we want to survive as, mm -hmm. you know, a species, we need to stop thinking in these differences mm -hmm. and stop acting out of fear for things that are not to be feared. There are things that are dangerous. Yeah. There are also a lot of things that we make dangerous. I couldn't agree more, <laughs> 100. Um, so, so connectedness, unite, being united, and not fearing our differences. And 
if you if someone wants is interested in leadership leadership coaching can you just like sh- say before we go to the final questions how they can reach out to you and um yeah yeah so i have the blessing of a really unique name so i'm the proud owner of ariana.com and of ariana at ariana.com if you want to send me an email um i offer free simple coaching sessions for people that are curious about what coaching is and what it can do for them because 30% of the effectiveness of coaching is based on the relationship and the trust between the coach and the coachee. So I find it super important that people really can connect with me before they commit to a coaching journey. Um, I just launched a new coaching program for, for women leaders uh, that is on my website that you can find. Um, I started uh, about half a year ago. I started on Instagram. So you can see a lot of, uh, of my work there if you look for Ariana van der Plus. Yeah, I think yes. that's a good memory of where to find me <laughs> nice thank you for sharing that uh, so uh, our final questions that I always ask in, in in this podcast is what is the kindest thing someone has ever done for you uh, one thing that comes to mind as a reason recent thing that meant the world to me is that both my parents and my parents-in-law came to us in Switzerland because we so we, the story is we moved to Switzerland to be closer to our family and then the pandemic hit and, you know, <laughs> it made the Netherlands feel further away than ever. Uh, and right now the situation is if you want to come to Switzerland, you need to be in quarantine for, for uh, seven to 10 days. So both of them did that because they wanted to support us so that my husband and I could get some time together, which we haven't had in a while, and to be with the, their grandchildren. And that to me was such a gift and, and like, I, well, you, you probably got from my story. Family is so important yes. for me. So that's, yeah, that was huge for me. Yes. And, and I, yeah. Uh, and I, I think all is everyone on this planet, right, is missing right now is missing their loved ones. And uh, that means a lot for sure. And um, what, what do you want to be remembered for? I think that what was also the central theme of our of our conversation, but that that um, I want to be a bridge builder in in well in different shapes and forms depending on on where I am, uh, and I want people to feel the power of being authentic and connecting authentically with others. So if I can create that for people, an environment where like the women's hub, where they feel safe enough to connect on that deep level, where I can coach people in a way where they be- can become leaders uh, that foster that in their own environment. Um, I would be really proud. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And uh, so the last two questions are, if you could change one thing on this planet, what would it be and why? And what is your idea of us? I- I'm afraid I'm going to repeat myself a little no. bit. <laughs> it-, it really goes back to that idea of, of approaching others with curiosity, looking for where there are connections um, testing your assumptions of, of the fear that you feel towards people that seem different are real. Like if that, if there's one thing that I could change on this planet is a, like that people would instantly have this sense of interconnectedness, interdependence that I think is our reality and that I think we need to live by more. And uh, yeah, what's your idea of us? I think that's a, yeah. In, in a similar sense that, that I, I almost get this image of, you know, we, we all have this this outside appearance, but there's a core of us that is so similar and so so connected. 
that it's like um, it's almost like peeling the layers of the onion mm -hmm. and then you come to the the us that all looks pretty pretty similar <laughs> and where there's and that's where the magic of, of true connection also is wow i love this ending <laughs> yeah. uh, that is so beautifully said um and uh yeah That that is a beautiful definition of the, the idea of us. To be honest, at the, if you feel us at the core, we are connected and more uh, similar than apart. So I love it. I'm so grateful for you and your time today. You shared so much and gave us insight in 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 something that I think a lot of us would like. At least on my me personally, I was like, it was an issue I was thinking about and I did not know where to start and. Thank you so much for doing this and thank you so much for sharing it today. I appreciate you a lot. <laughs> thank you. And thanks for giving me this space. It really means a lot to me to be able to share this experience because it was so important for me. So thanks for creating a stage for these stories. This show was truly eye-opening and I loved every minute about Ariana. Her story is truly inspiring And I love how wherever she goes on this planet, she looks for a way to contribute to society in her own authentic way. My favorite part was when she talked about the importance of family and structure in one's life and how this also is a privilege that we should not take for granted and acknowledge. And acknowledge. <laughs> this part really resonated with me because when I think about homelessness, I also think about fault and I catch myself of being judgmental. Ignoring the fact that we all have different circumstances in life and pretending that if you're not struggling in any regard is solely based on one's own achievement, which is not true. My English teacher always used to say, and I truly hated that, Yerika, life is not fair. And although I hated the statement, this is true. Life is not fair. I believe deep in our hearts, we are aware of that. And since we are one community, whether we close our eyes, numb our feelings, we know human suffering exists. In terms of things we can solve, like I believe homelessness, we need to solve. There are many organizations doing the work here trying to provide holistic solutions to a very, very complex problem. Because as we learned today, it's not just housing we're talking about. It's addiction, it's mental health, it's also cultural and geographical aspects that play a role. So solutions need to be very holistic and also preventive. For me personally, so basically, where can I start? I would love to start <clears throat> to make sure that everyone I met, no matter which circumstance the person is in, I treat with respect. In Ariana's word, like I would treat a neighbor. So I hope you enjoyed today's show of the Idea of Us podcast. Um, please make sure to reach out to Ariana. She's a beautiful human being. You can reach out to her over her IG handle Ariana Fanda Plus or to her website ariana.com. I also would love to connect with you, which we which you can do through my um, IG handle, which is the idea of us that pod. Um, yes, I'm forever grateful for you listening in today, and I wish you as always much love and light. Yeah, that guy.